I've always thought that art could save me from or shield me from most anything. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly episodes with people around the world who share our love of printmaking. If you like what we do, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really does make a difference. Or just tell a fellow print friend about the podcast and maybe they'll enjoy it too. We also have a Patreon page where supporters join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month. And that helps to keep us bringing you printy content every week. And you get thank yous like exclusive merch and access to bonus content. Shop talk with our editor, Timothy Pauschak. These are chats for the printmaker's printmaker. They talk about color theory, materials, chemistry, lots of nuts and bolts, and down-to-earth professional advice. How do you get a solo exhibition? How do you balance teaching and making? How do you get that teaching gig in the first place? So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out the link in the show notes and sign up to hear Tim's chat with today's guests. And if you want to save a little cash while still supporting the show, you can sign up for a yearly subscription and receive 15% off the tier price. Printmaking forever. Shun the non-believers. This episode of Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products who have been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. But we all know those products do not use themselves, and that's why Speedball works with a fantastic lineup of contemporary printmakers who make up the Speedball team of demo artists. Artists like the incredible Jay Ryan, who's been making screen prints and concert posters in and around Chicago since 1995. His clients have included bands such as Andrew Bird, Fugazi, Hum, The Decemberist, Jack White, Pearl Jam, Modest Mouse, The Melvins, My Morning Jacket, and hundreds of others, as well as brands like Patagonia, Samsung, and CBS Films. Jay owns The Bird Machine, a small screen print shop where he makes all of his prints. So if you want to learn a few tricks of the trade from one of screen printing's best, head on over to Speedball Art's YouTube channel and see how it's done. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Stacey Lynn Waddell. We'll talk about her use of branding irons as printmaking, the late great actress Butterfly McQueen, and slow living in a manic world. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to break out the gold leaf with Stacey Lynn Waddell. Hi Stacey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited that we could connect. I've followed your work, I don't know, for quite some time now, it feels like. I I think I first found you on the, the old Instagram, you know, that uh, that old chestnut yes. for discovering new inspiring artists. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, really was, was taken in by your work and did sort of a little bit of a deep dive as much as I could on you preparing for the interview here and just really got even more stoked about having a chat. So I'm really glad we could connect. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So oh, thank you. <laughs> so before we get on into all of my carefully prepared questions for you, would you please introduce yourself and just in case anyone out there is listening at home, listening in their studio, who don't know you or your work yet, how would you describe who you are, where you are, and what you do? Well, um, I am Stacey Lynn Waddell. I'm a mixed media artist. I'm not a lover of that term. It's mm. a little bit vague, um, but it applies in the sense that I like to um, play with several different materials and processes um, in traditional and non-traditional ways. I am located in North Carolina. My studio is in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I am from North Carolina and um, obviously I'm an artist, uh, but and getting ready for my first uh, New York solo uh, oh. exhibition, which opens on September 10th at Candace Mady Gallery. So I'm a little bit harried. Oh my goodness, <laughs> uh, that is, uh, uh, yeah, yes. we're recording on the 4th, so that is less than a week away. Yes, Beautiful. yes. 
Well, I would love to hear more about that a little later on, um, for sure, because that sounds like a, a very exciting thing. Do you think you'll be able to travel up there for the opening? I don't know how things are currently in your part of the world um, with travel and COVID and everything. Yeah, what I'm going to do is I, I love road trips. And so mm. I'm just going to drive so that I don't necessarily have to deal with flying, which would yeah. be so great yeah. to just kind of take a quick flight up. Um, and I feel pretty comfortable with that and just going to kind of keep a low profile pretty much just hang at the gallery with mm -hmm. with Candace and just sort of be um or at the hotel um there are a couple of close friends that are that are in New York that will do some social distancing kind of like maybe meet up at the park or something right. that yeah. kind of thing um but yeah I'm, I'm going ah there's some there's some trepidation about it but um just coming from where I live to a place that's a lot more densely populated mm -hmm. um and I love New York so it'll be difficult for me to go to New York and have to sort of have this sort of invisible bubble around myself and to yeah. be super mindful about um the pandemic and, and, and being safe and, but I'm super cautious. And so we'll, we'll, it'll all in the end be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like fine. it. It sounds like you're, you're doing the responsible version of it, which isn't of course the fun version of it, which of course is tend not to go hand in hand, the responsibility and the fun, but, but you'll exactly. be in New York in autumn. Um, and I think it should be beautiful. So we'll, um, mm -hmm. Definitely circle back to get more details about that show a little later on in our chat here. So you mentioned you grew up in North Carolina. Whereabouts was that? And what role did art have in that part of your life? Well, I grew up in um, mostly in Franklin County, which is one of the smaller counties in North Carolina, an agricultural county. I'm from a farming family. Um, and so that, I think, plays incredibly heavily mm -hmm. in um, the making of, of me um, into a maker. Um, farmers or in, in folks in the rural South uh, make do and know how to make things for practical purposes that wind up being incredibly artful and beautiful. Um, even in the planning and designing of garden beds and flower beds, um, all of those things in terms of looking at the world around them as a place to design. Mm -hmm. um, again, whether it be for practical purposes or not, um, I think played a role. My grandmother made quilts and, you know, my mother sewed my sisters and I clothes for much of our early lives. I mean, th this idea of, of learning how to do something and doing it without the thought of this as it being an art practice. That never entered anyone's thinking. It, it, it's not an intellectual pursuit. Um, it's just what you do. It's yeah. something that you, that you learn how to do. And I think infused with this sense of purpose and doing it in this loving way, because you're doing it for your family, for loved ones, to share with um, the surrounding community, all of that sort of plays into it. And, and I think it's the reason I like to talk about ideas related to beauty mm. um, in my work um, because it, and, and, and talk about ideas related to um, meditative and, and a kind of spiritual practice that, that art has for me, that it, that it plays for me, that sort of um, art being a stand in for a meditation or being an actual meditation, um, I think comes directly from growing up on a farm and mm. in a rural space. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think that idea of what you're saying about how on the farm and, and in the country, that kind of make do that lends itself to such intense creativity. I've always loved that. And it's something that I think growing up in the city and being a city person and having to go where work is and colleges are. And so you kind of don't spend a lot of time in the countryside. But the few times that I've gotten to really be out of that life, one of the things that really struck me was this disconnect between, oh, I need something, I'll just go buy it. 
And I remember right. that kind of shocking feeling when I first was living somewhere really rural. I was in, in the middle of nowhere in, in northern Arizona, like eight hours from the next big city, you know, from the next Walmart, right? Or whatever, you know, you're at your anything kind of store. And just this idea of this is it, you know, what's on my property here is right. my world, basically, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And and so if I need anything, it has to come from this world because I'm I'm you know, I'm not going into town until next week. And I think that it's something that doesn't occur to you if you've never maybe lived that life because you're just used to the oh, I'll go down to the store and I'll get that new, you know, whatever it is, right? The new cable, the new the new set of gloves, the new pair of pants. Um, yeah, whatever it is you need, that kind of instantaneous gratification. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's an intentionality to making the choice to I'll go and get this thing mm. um, or I'll go into town. I mean, going into town is a is an event. Um, listening to my mother and her brothers and sisters talk about growing up, like there, it was a special privilege to be able to go into town. Right. And, and we still say, you know, we're going to go to town and pick up this or that. Um, and it's always with intention, mm -hmm. with a kind of an intention behind it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And so, um, so in that kind of, you're saying that there was, there was a root in there that's that way of living and that connection between the meditative and the spiritual and making. Where does that overlap happen? Um, you know, I think it's just in the work itself, mm. you know, the, the way in which when I've had the opportunity to, to be an adjunct and to teach, I came to art by way of being a high school art teacher. Mm. So teaching's very much a part of who I am as a person. But whenever students come with issues with their pieces or their projects, it's really in the work. And so the, the advice is that you just need to keep working to find mm -hmm. the answers. Um, I think that is, that is where it comes from. My, you know, growing up on a farm where your days are netted out in terms of tasks um, and things are time sensitive, you have to wake up early. There is a repetition to your, to your days. Um, that is a kind of, that is a meditation. I mean, that's where it is. It's the same with, with the studio, right? Mm -hmm. There, there is a, there is a place in which you just sort of hit automatic pilot, especially when you're working on a, on a show, yeah. um, when you have yeah. deadlines coming up and in that space of you, 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 a repetition of waking up, getting to the studio works are in process you have several things going at the same time. There is a place where you just are working on a kind of autopilot. And autopilot isn't really even a sufficient term. That is, for me, where you find that meditation. Mm -hmm. And you may be incredibly stressed, right? That right. You, time is running down. You have a lot more work, you feel, than time. But there's still something about a connection to this higher purpose. Mm -hmm. It's where you really reflect on, um, where you really, <laughs> maybe you have like momentary like regrets. Why did I decide to do this? <laughs> Whatever it is, it's that thing that takes you out of yourself. Um, and maybe I'm getting a little too whatever, but it, 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 it's where you really are in the space that carries you through, yeah. right? That, that place where the skill that you have, all the, you know, the, the things that you've done to prepare leading up to this moment that, you know, like when you've, you've been training, like someone running a marathon and you're ready and you're in that place and it just carries you through. I think that though, that's where it sort of comes together, that sort of spiritual and meditative um, practices connecting to the work, the actual work itself, or how work becomes a spiritual or meditative practice. Mm, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like what's in there too, is that when you show up and you just, you know, the work that needs to be done. And so in a way, sort mm -hmm. of all that's left is the labor and, right. and you can just let the act of creation sort of, you could just be sort of a vessel for it because right. it, 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 you know, already exists in, your mind's eye it already exists in all of this 
preparatory work that you've done for it and you just kind of let the music play you, I think, as it were, which I think is part of the right. reason why people can love printmaking is because of the uh, repetitive nature, the additioning, the carving. You know, some people mm -hmm. don't like additioning at all, but like a lot of people are like, no, that's my favorite is when it's all done and I can just show up in right. the studio and kind of wake up on the other side of pulling an addition of, you know, 20 prints at four colors or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And with printmaking, what's lovely is that you're doing it in community because you're in that space with other people. Mm. Um, and I've always found that I've always been um, a bit envious of that in terms of the print world is that it's, everything is in community um, it, because of the nature of the print studio. Mm -hmm. um, which is, which that's a whole other, right, level of this sort of meditative, um, there, you can still have a meditative practice in community, yeah. Um, yeah, which may be even more powerful. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We could debate that maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's um, that uh, collective flow. I've heard um, uh, from a researcher on a, on a different podcast who studies when people get into flow states, that's his, his niche. And he said mm -hmm. that it's possible to be in collective flow. It's possible for your mind to be in flow state and the person next to you and the person next to you and the person next to you. And he, yeah. and he was saying that he thinks it may even come from uh, when we were hunter gatherers and, you know, we had to all be kind of in sync and in rhythm and working together if we were going to take down, you know, the, the antelope or whatever it was. And so there's a way of doing it. And that something that's just sort of tangential, but I also found fascinating is that you can, you can enter a collective flow state he, with other animals as well. So if you're going for right. a run with a dog or riding a horse, you can, you know, other mammals will, will get into this sense. So I don't know. I, I always think that idea of like that community and the fact that we have this this way to unlock this experience collectively is one of the wonderful things about creating in community. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. Agreed. And so you'd mentioned that, you know, you are an admirer of printmaking. You spend time in print studios, but you don't maybe necessarily identify as a printmaker primarily, but it does show up quite a bit in your work and in maybe less traditional ways as well. Um, how would you define, though, the way sort of printmaking intersects or overlaps with your creative practice more broadly? Oh, wow. That's a giant mm. question. <laughs> um, I think First and foremost, it's my interest in materials and processes. Mm. Uh, print, printmakers are incredible problem solvers in my in my mind, in my opinion, and I really do believe that is because of the array of materials and processes that they deal with. The the way in which printmakers understand alchemy, and so for me, uh, taking a heated tool and then burning the surface of paper, I've transformed that paper and there's alchemy that's happened in the, um, uh, the, the paper, between the paper and, and heat. Mm -hmm. So this sort of heated process, or if I'm dealing with um, uh, gold leaf or metal leaf and I decide to not seal a metal leaf because over time I want there to be a slight bit of tarnish because that's a part of the piece that alchemy um, for me is a part of that, a part of the print world. And listening to um, Jennifer Roberts and her um, Melon Lecture series just yeah. blew my mind yeah, open. Yeah, she because, was so wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have listened to those lectures over and over and over again because they articulate so much about my interest in process, but also in material. Um, when I was in graduate school, I, I was connected to, I was introduced to a book by James Elkins entitled What Painting Is. Mm. And that entire book is about the paint matter, right? This, 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 this stuff and what it truly is and, and our, and, the painter's connection to it. And so 
I am really connected to materials. Materials mm. draw me, processes draw me, burning and gilding. And of course, I function with those things in my own way. My hand is apparent in them. Mm. Um, folks that have learned to gild properly and traditionally would be aghast watching <laughs> me work. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 would, they would be a little bit horrified but it's but 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 for me it's really important to kind of saddle up next to some of these traditional or historical practices and yet leave my mark with them and mm. so um you know to go back to your original question it's the engagement with process it's mm. the engagement with material um and then with the branding irons there's that like that repetitive, emphatic mark making, right? Mm. It's it's leaving the mark. It's that contact between the heated tool and the surface and everything that's happening when the smoke, right, comes from the contact between those two things. Mm. It's that whole like process. It's magical for me. Yeah. And there's something uh, that, that's very similar to when a plate is inked and it's run through the press with a sheet of paper. Um, there's, because you're not quite sure once you pull pull the print, you know, you're not sure what it's gonna be, right? You're, yeah. you're not quite sure of the alignment. You're not quite sure of how the ink is gonna lay down on the paper. So that space of uncertainty um, is where I live. It's mm. where I love to, to sort of be. And I think all of that is, for me, the best part of, of printmaking. And um, I, I, in ways, in, in intentionally and not, I harness that. And I think I was doing that and thinking about that long before I just started to realize that, oh, this is kind of what you're doing. I'm working my way towards like really making more traditional prints. I know like having residencies where I go and I make prints, this idea of making multiples, there's so much currency in that. Um, as an artist who works in a studio who makes um, discrete um, original pieces, the the ability to make multiples is wonderful, right? On a, on a, just a sheer efficiency level, <laughs> you yeah, know, like just yeah. being able to like cr put all this power into this, this, this plate or this block and then make multiple prints. And along the way, this is what's so great about printmaking. You can continue to change, mm. right? That, 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 that block or that plate and, and continue to kind of modify it. So, um, yeah, a bit of that, a bit of a bit of all of the process of making a print from the plate to the final print is somewhere in my practice yeah. and in my work somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you're really touching on a concept that shows up in Jennifer Roberts' wonderful lectures about that moment where the act of creation in printmaking is actually invisible in a way mm -hmm. that it's not in other media. You know, so when the hot branding iron hits the paper, that moment, you can only see sort of the amount of the paper that's not being transformed, you know? Right. And then, and that reveal is that, is that magic that I think, as you've touched on, is what really can have people keep coming back is because it's invisible. Every reveal is, is a new surprise and a new, um, like a, a new intrigue, I guess, is, is maybe a way yes. to, 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 to kind of think about it. Yeah. And so, and I hadn't realized until I started to come to know your work, I guess I just hadn't thought about the fact that branding irons are a form of printmaking. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because I've, you know, I've been in the print world for maybe almost 10 years now, I think. And I've been um, on this podcast and talked to printmakers and print adjacent and print enthusiastic people uh, once a week. And every, there's just always more to know about it. There's always a new, a new layer. And so when did the branding iron come into your work as a form of creation? And, and at the time, did you think about it at all kind of under that umbrella of printmaking or did it sort of 
find its way under there after your practice kind of expanded to include more printmaking aspects? Um, the, the branding irons came when I was still in graduate school. Mm -hmm. I, um, would, uh, there's a place that I would go and I would find scraps of metal and have those scraps of metal welded to handles. And uh, in school I could work outside on, you know, on a loading dock, you know, where I could, you know, use an acetylene torch set up and, and that kind of thing obviously can't be done inside, but I was really fortunate to have um, this really great space. We called it the art lab uh, and it is called the art lab. And that's where my studio was. And I had that set up. Um, I was thinking about printmaking at that time. Um, I wanted, you know, way back when I thought, man, I want to be a painter. Like this, this will seem like a weird story, but it'll totally make sense. Uh -huh. So I, I wanted uh -huh. to be a painter. I wanted to be that like person that when you walked into the studio, there's something really beautiful about walking into painter studios where there's the easel, there's the canvas, stretched canvas, there's the paint and the brushes. And it's very, you know, very simple, very pared down, but so much could be done with that. Um, but I, that doesn't work for me. And so I, painting also just sort of represented a kind of like historical practice that had a long history that there was so much, uh, uh maybe, um, opportunity to have discussion about that wasn't going to either so when I so when I first got to graduate school I, di I didn't have a practice I'd been a high school teacher I really went with the intention of I'm going to get the degree so that I can teach on the college level I'm not interested in teaching high school anymore but of course after the first year that kind of like fairy dust of of being in an MFA program, I was like an adult, a non-traditional student. It was all really fun for me because I was mm -hmm. not in the classroom. I was focusing on my work and what I want, what I, what I, I didn't even know what my work was. And so just to be in that space of not knowing, but constant creation was incredibly informative and transformative for me. And so what I decided was, hey, okay, I don't have a practice, but what I want to do is start to work with materials and processes that could say so much more than even the images that I'm going to create with these processes. And I started thinking about fire and things like invisible ink, um, I started thinking about tools that you might use to like tool leather, like um, uh, uh, heat guns and all kinds of things. And I thought, oh, this fire sounds like a really great way to make a mark and to have that mark be representative of a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of historical things, a lot of contemporary things. And so it began with that. Um, the repetition for me was a great way to sort of think about like writing, um, any kind of like mark making, um, the history of branding, whether it be the branding of African slaves or animals or um, the kind of violence behind branding. Um, it just was seems like such an incredible process to get behind to then sort of allowed to speak to help help me along I guess in the process um while I was in school and so it, and it, it's also physical you know it's also very physical and even when you think about like the matrices of print printmaking like sheets and blocks and plates and slabs all of that is sounds really sculptural you're constructing something and I've always thought about like the work that I make in terms of constructing it or building it, although I'm working on two-dimensional, you know, I'm working on paper, or I'm working on like a piece of canvas, I'm always thinking of construction and building. And the tools are very much about this kind of building. I mean, these branding irons, you know, I have tons of those where I've welded things, things have been welded together. Now I just order them and they're, you know, you can plug them in <laughs> and they're, they're, they're electrical, but the metal plates are still of that ilk in terms of tools and construction and building and something that's three-dimensional, even if 
not in form, but but in its presence, right? The the surfaces that you're building onto paper have a three-dimensional quality to them. Um, the same with the gilded surfaces, you know, that I create on canvas or paper. There's something three-dimensional because of the light you're having to negotiate around the light. So there's there's a there's a form, there's a three-dimensional form on the surface that I'm thinking about that I that I that that I know has to do with the kinds of tools and, and processes that I'm interested in. Thinking about these 2D like finished product in these three-dimensional ways, because I feel like that's very printmakery, printmakerly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way that printmakers see images in layers, the way that they have to think in three-dimensionality to get to a finished two-dimensional image that reflects the intentions that they had. And so that interest in kind of the process and the multi-dimensional thinking around the process that in the end gets this result that may exist in that two-dimensional space with that history of the three-dimensional is a really interesting aspect, I think, of of your work Mm -hmm. and of and if, you know, printmaking, uh, the, the printmaking world sort of more broadly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. 3D. Mm. 3D. I'm mm. always thinking about, I'm always thinking about that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've got sort of printmaking touching base in your work, you know, through, um, through the branding irons is the way I love that, that kind of journey from being a student and just welding things together to now like you you've got like the the modern cowgirl convenience of of you know the electric <laughs> branding iron yes. now yes <laughs> um, so that i can work inside yeah yeah it's, it's more practical <laughs> <laughs> just so the, yeah that's that's such a good arc for that side of your work but you've also interfaced with printmaking through letterpress as well and you had a letterpress letter like you know an actual letter isn't you know what one writes to another that showed up in an exhibition you did and it was a letter that you wrote to butterfly mcqueen Um, oh wow yeah yeah And so I wonder if you can sort of speak to that and why Butterfly McQueen and, and sort of why letterpress as the form to, to carry those words for you. Um, wow. Gosh, thanks for recalling that. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> so in 2015, I was given the opportunity to have a residency at the Visual Arts Center of Richmond in Richmond, uh, Virginia. And the residency was interesting because I was offered an opportunity to make work and have an exhibition at the end of it. That's not necessarily unusual. But the part about making work was I was able to be connected to um Uh, materials and tools and technologies that I'd been thinking about wanting to, to, to work with like laser technology, like making like actual like laser prints on a machine where there's a laser head that Mm. um, can cut or burn. And so I started working with um, this wonderful place called big secret with a man by the name of Jason Lefton uh, who I love, uh, and in Richmond. And so the residency really was making a multi, um, piece print with Jason that would then be the central part point of an exhibition at the end of the residency, the letter to butterfly McQueen, because the exhibition, um, was about butterfly McQueen. Mm. It was called, uh, yeah. So, uh, the letter was, w- without getting too deep about the exhibition, the letter was um, my writing to someone that I felt like had lived this incredibly interesting life. Thelma Butterfly McQueen was um, a Southern woman. She was from Georgia, I believe. She, um, if you read about her, um, the arc from being trained as a dancer to then playing Prissy um, in Gone with the Wind, which was her most distinguished role, um, the role of a, of a slave. She, after that, played roles um, as domestics, um, which was obviously generally the, the fate um, of a black woman um, 
in the movies at that time. And so um, she also played in Gone with the Wind with Hattie McDaniel, who went on to win the Oscar for her role as Mammy. And Hattie McDaniel became a kind of mentor um, to to uh, McQueen. And the what's interesting is to sort of read about the way in which, as any young person would, you know, McQueen wanted to assert herself as uh, in a different way than obviously the role she was yeah. playing. She yeah. had all of these desires and these sort of rules and boundaries about what she didn't want um, to have happen in that role to have be seen um, on screen because she felt very strongly about what the role would portray. But imagine the conundrum that you're in. You're a young actress, you get this role in a major film, um, but you're having to play a slave and you're having to play someone who is put in demeaning, sometimes demeaning and comic uh, roles. And you're thinking already at the beginning about the other side of that and what that might mean. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I wrote a letter in this show that is about McQueen. It, the, the exhibition was called Epitaph for a Darling Lady. And it was about her interior life. It was about her psychological, her emotional, uh, her professional life. And it was a way of sharing with people sort of someone's insides as I might suspect them to have been. Um, and the letter was specifically a communication, if I had the opportunity to communicate directly with her, these are some things that I would have said to her. That letter represents those things that I may have said. Um, those things that I wanted her to know that I understood in terms of the uh, code switching, right? We use that term now, but wasn't used then. But t in terms of, of of that sort of double consciousness that Du Bois talks about, has written about, in terms of how um, Black people have to function um, in the world, in America. And that's what that letter uh, was about. Letterpress, again, these physical metal letters that are set, right, in this, for many people, this kind of archaic sort of like, what is this? It almost looks like, you know, when you're working with letterpress, a torture device in a yeah. sense. <laughs> You know, you set these letters and the letters have to be set and the type has to be selected. And then there's an impression made. Again, a physical, um, a three-dimensional thing because the paper is impressed upon, mm -hmm. right? It's, it, there, there's, there's an impression. Um, and so you wind up with, with relief, relief on that paper or on the backside of the paper, however you want to think about it. There is a kind of relief. If I ran my hand across the surface of that letter, right, I, I, I can feel the evidence of that, the activity that happened as that print was, was made. And there's something really lovely about that for me. Again, it's three-dimensional, but it's also something that like holds time and holds meaning and holds um, those thoughts and those desires and those whatever, that, that intention of that letter or whatever it is um, into that paper, right? Yeah. Into that... Yeah that that surface um yeah i could see having that no. your words with imprinted into paper with this tremendous amount of pressure that leaves mm -hmm. as you said this what's essentially an incredibly low relief sculpture in its way uh has does have such more of an emotional feeling of gravity than just with pen and paper writing something right. out longhand it, it would just be a completely different sort of message and uh, process and end results for sure than that kind of that that gravity of of seeing and mm -hmm. feeling, uh, feeling truly um, the literal weight of the words as they affect mm -hmm. the paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were talking about the this exhibition from 2015, and I'm hoping that with the time we have left, we can talk about the one that's going to be happening 
in 2021, a few years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yes. So <laughs> it's been interesting um, to be to be given an opportunity to make work for an exhibition during a pandemic yeah. and yeah. to make the decision to carry that out during an incredibly difficult time for myself personally, for the world. Um, and I did so because I've always thought that art could save me from or shield me from most anything. And my studio is, is, is a bunker, if you will. You know, like I could go in there and I'm cut off from all of the craziness that's happening outside of that space. And I can get... Um, jump into my work. This was an incredibly different, this was not that. Like mm -hmm. the, making the work for this show was not that at all. Um, it was an incredible blessing to have the opportunity. And I'd worked with Candace. Um, I'd been in a group show when she had On Stellar Rays, her previous very successful um, gallery and had not been in contact with her for ever. Uh, and she, but she had been paying attention to me and decided, um, to open a gallery and I did not know that. And mm -hmm. she invited me to come and be a part of that. And it, it's one of those things that made me think about something that uh, a mentor of mine in graduate school would always say, you always need to be ready mm -hmm. because opportunities will come out of nowhere. They'll, they, they won't, they won't come when you're like, okay. I'm ready. Everything is in place, <laughs> right? This is a good time. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like I'm in the right headspace. Yep. Like the money's okay. Yep. Like I can pay all the bills. There's no real like crazy traumatic stuff happening. Let's do this. Oh no. It comes during a pandemic. It comes during a time of incredible uncertainty and you have to, that's where all the training and the making work prior and the sort of girding your loins over mm. these years. That's what the preparation has been for. Um, I never really sought out having a gallery. I was very intentional about setting up um, my life here in the Southeast. It, I'm a very practical person. I'm, you know, doing something that's akin to trying to walk on the moon. Um, and so I need to be somewhere where the earth is, beneath my feet and I'm near people that love me and that if the bottom drops out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> can, can be like, okay, we need to, you know, rally around Stacy. And so to have this opportunity um, is a, has been a mixed bag, but I'm so excited and happy that I said yes. And that I'm on the other side of that now and can now go and see the work outside of my studio, not being made or photographed or packed, but in another space and being able to be, see the work through the eyes of other people, mm. um, which is something that, and, 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 and in particular New York, which is really important as much as I want to rail against having to be indebted to or pay attention to or make sure that I stay abreast of what's happening in New York. Yeah. The yeah. sheer fact of the matter is that it is still the place where people come with a kind of expectancy and where they exist um, having looked at the whole world of art. And so to have my work be seen through those lenses is really important um, and really important for me now. Like I'm, I've been going through, I think, like artists do, growing pains that I didn't know they were growing pains until this last year and a half now where we've had a lot of time to kind of think and process and um, and reflect and so the show, which is entitled Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, -E, mm. um, is a perfect, a perfect show for me to, to present um, now because it's, you know, it's, the word is a variant of metal, M-E-T-A-L, from the 16th century that's, you know, the word is about resilience and, and strength and, and sort of a fighting spirit. 
you know, persisting. And I've thought a lot about that, as we all have um, over this last year and a half. And so to present works that are representative of that um, in a space, in the space of New York, but also in the space of Candace Mady Gallery, um, is really important to me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, It will be the first time that I've had um, a solo presentation of these gilded pieces, which are really, really, really antagonistic, you know, in terms of lighting and in terms of photography. And they... They demand, you know, they ask, but they really demand, I want to use a you know, stronger language, they demand that people take their time. I am a slow person. I've done everything later in life. I like to take my time. I like to really think through things. I've lost relationships and opportunities because I wanted to take a needed more time. But that's the way that I'm made. And it's the way that I enjoy work. Um, It's the way that I enjoy art. When I go to museums, when I go to galleries, I like to take my time. It's the reason I don't love openings. It's because you can't see anything at the opening. The opening is not for seeing art. It's for seeing people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, and and you know what I mean? And, And those of us that are like seasoned lookers, when we have a lot of like openings to to see and to go to you know you go to the doorway if it's a lot of people you kind of crane your neck and scan and you tell people yeah I went to that opening yeah and I saw the work but you didn't see anything these works ask you to come and move your body around the work because you're having to negotiate the light and the surrounding atmosphere to take everything in I started making these gold on gold I call them uh, pieces because I had read about the the research of a social psychologist. Her name's Jennifer Everhart, Dr. Everhart uh, at Stanford University, and she was doing research. I'd read this um, um, our article about her in the New York Times some years ago. She was doing research on profiling. And profiling, as we know, is where you take very basic, superficial clues and you turn those into knowing something. Mm -hmm. You turn that into a kind of evidence, which, as we know, is incredibly faulty. Um, You see something that is um, supposedly dangerous, Um, a black male, a black person, a darker skinned person, a different looking person. And that is that signals a danger, right? If they're walking fast or running or in a hoodie or whatever, those are just those superficial sort of markers. And so we do that, right? We misrepresent because we don't take the time to get to know, right? Something that we're fearful of or that we question or that we've been taught to avoid, we don't take the time to really learn what it is, to see it, to really see it. And so I'm asking with these works that you take the time to see it. You could take a few seconds and get part of it, but you can't get all of it. Like at what angle, right? These, these works don't, don't reveal themselves to you when you just have a frontal position, when you just stand in front of them like you can most sort of very most graphic works yeah, that yeah, you can take yeah. in. You can't do that with these. You have to kind of get in an angle and move around. And then in this Instagram sort of like post things on social media world, you know, I tell people all the time, you won't really get these in a photograph. The best way is like short video clips where you kind of move at an move around the piece where you go from side to side so that you can take it all in because the light helps to reveal and describe the work and your position relative to that light is is how you come to know the work and it's more than one pass right so I'm sort of you know it, it it's work that's you know not easy to kind of like post on social media it's not easy to document it's the kind of work that asks you to be there and see it in person, um, which makes a lot of things a lot more difficult yeah, um, yeah. for the gallery, for myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? I'm sitting here as, as a gallerist, like having all kinds of gallerist thoughts about these works, you know, like, yes. oh my goodness, Stacy, what are you doing to me? You know? <laughs> yeah. 
it, it, it creates an incredible amount of, of difficulty. And, and, and yet it is what I think we need more of. Yeah. Um, and, and I, what I think we've been able to, um, enjoy and, and be, a, you know, and engage in this last 17 months is a, is a slow consideration. Mm-hmm. It's a slow observation. That's why all these people, so many people are making these, these shifts in their lives, in their professions, in their, their personal lives, in their families, because they've had time to think. Yeah. Um, they've had time to, to get to know themselves maybe a little bit better. And so um, during that slow process, you know, that sort of long engagement, I want to say a little something about persistence, sticking with something, um, hanging in with something to get the reveal. Um, again, like I said, I've, I've, I've lost things because um, I'm really good at I'm really good at hanging in but I'm slow. And so others don't necessarily find it convenient to move forward when there's someone who's like, well, I just want to take a little bit more time to be sure. Um, That's not the society that we are in right now. Like it's fast, it's digital, it's quick. Um, And so I'm always having to negotiate that um, at at various levels um, in my, with my work or with my life. Right. Is that, that, that pace, the pace and, and how do you sort of, you know, have the endurance um, when you're someone that is wanting to move really in, in a very different way. Yeah. In a very different way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and how so, so much of the way the average person now, the average person with a smartphone moves through the world is this just leaping from like one point of high attention to the yes. next, you know, like what, mm-hmm. what holds, you know, like, like, I don't even know how long, like the average, you know, TikTok is, <laughs> I don't really understand <laughs> the, 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 the TikTok, but, um, so much, but, um, it's, uh, but it's just like, it's like, show me this, show me this, show me this, show me this. And I think that it it has its sort of place and kind of can have its kind of own poetry if sort of harnessed correctly. But it's certainly not. I don't think it's good for mental health. I don't think it's spiritually right. rewarding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there is there is a reason why every spiritual practice has some element of meditation or prayer in it, mm-hmm. like a quietness mm-hmm. and a slowing down and we're so separated from that now. And so I think it's mm-hmm. it's a bold and a beautiful move to say, I'm going to make work that you are going to have to slow down for whether you like it or not. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, and, yeah. I, and I really love that. And I love, um, yeah, you're saying that you identify as someone who needs that. And that might mean that certain things don't stick around in your life, you know, um, because, but you know that you need that extra time and you just kind of honor that. Um, right. and it's, it's something that again, and I very much identify with what you're saying about people in the last 17 months having this kind of slowdown. Cause I definitely know that I have, and as, as I'm sure, you know, you know, the art world can be so high paced. It's like what opening, what person, what talk, what, you know, like what's coming next. What's, you know, I, I, uh, when, you know, in the pre-pandemic world, I used to joke that my calendar and my phone wasn't really useful because every day had a dot on it. You know, so I couldn't, I couldn't look and say, what, what, what do I have this week? It's like, well, it's, it's something every day, you know? Right. Um, and, and that has changed. And I have definitely become, I think, happier and in my own way, I think like a better person. And I don't really mean that in lightly, like a better person to someone who is more contemplative and therefore, you know, more empathetic and therefore more self-reflective. So I can say like, whoa, I have space to think about the fact that maybe I'm the asshole, you know, in this situation, (laughs) 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 which like when you're just like leaping from thing to thing, there's no space for that. There's no, there's no space yeah. for that kind of realization. So um, I think that's well, just you've hit wonderful. upon it. You yeah. hit upon that. I mean, like that's exactly it. Like the the slower pace is a bit frightening to people mm. because we're not used to creating 
the space of reflection and contemplation. And we're all, you know, sort of, we've all been, you know, victims to this, to the fast paced world that we live in. But I think that I'm pretty sure that the reason that there's been so many, I know so many people that have gone through major changes, like good things, um, not necessarily bad things, but because they had the time Mm. to think through, they had the time to really ask themselves questions about what they wanted and what they didn't what ask themselves questions about what is it that I really want to do I have a job that I even enjoy but is that what I really want to do and a lot of people sort of roll the dice and took a chance and started businesses or um, I was amazed that that Candace in a pandemic was one the major thing that impressed me was that during that time she was starting a new gallery and I thought what? Yeah. Like that is baller. Like that's, that's baller. Like, like I will forever feel that that's a baller move mm-hmm. for someone to, to just say, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what we allow for ourselves when we have time, when we when we give ourselves over to the t- the space of reflection. Yeah, um, it, yeah. it's it's what every artist knows about that space in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, we love having the shows and the opportunities, but there's something really nice about when the the work is made and the show is up. When you can go into that studio and it's quiet. Yeah, and yeah. you can begin again. You can. Just, oh, I want to make drawings for six months or I want to like investigate this thing or I want to read these books. Like there's something incredibly powerful about that mining space in that way, about having that kind of those wormholes to really go down. It's it's very luxurious. Right. But it's also the way in which we think and we begin sort of like that new, you know, we're, we're, we're hunting for that new thing yeah. that, that, yeah. that catches our eye. Um, and in order to find it, we have to have a lot of space. I mean, I spend a lot of time by myself um, because I have to. Yeah, that's part of the work. I mean, I'm very comfortable in that space. That's the other thing that the, the this last year is really kind of challenged a little bit. I'm like, whoa, like I I. I'm real good with spending a lot of time in the space of the studio, but this is a different kind Mm. of alone time. Like this has been a real different kind of time. So, um, yeah, 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 it's been, it's been a challenge. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and it's been a challenge. I'm really, um, just delighted to know about your exhibition and, and that, that challenging time, like many challenging times, produces such really in-depth and rewarding fruits, um, which is, you know, one of those strange things about life is that, you know, when you have to really walk through some fire is when you get something really transformative yeah. on the other side. Oh, I brought it home. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The metaphor of the fire transforming. You it out but, of the fire. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean it. Yeah. I really mean it. You know, it's like uh, that, like it, it, that, that, it's nothing transforms when things are, are stable, you know, transformation right. is inherently um, chaotic in its own way. Yeah. Where can people find you and follow you uh, to see updates as they happen? Sure. To find me, you can go to my website at stacylynnwaddell.com or I'm on Instagram at Stacy Lynn Waddell as well. And I'm, um, I was always a reluctant um, social media person, very like reluctant. I poo-pooed it all. And then about four or five years ago, decided to do Instagram. And uh, it's been really great. It's a good, a good thing to do. Um, a great way to find artists, to meet artists, um, to meet anyone, right? To find out what they're doing. So yeah, find me on Instagram or go to my website, which I, I'm much better now about keeping up to date. Excellent. Um, Excellent. Well, yeah. Yeah. Come and see the show. <laughs> I, oh, I certainly would if, if I could. Um, but I will, I will look forward to seeing the ways people get creative about capturing it. Um, yes. In the, the, the slow <laughs> exhibition in the fast world. Yeah. 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 Um, and you're, are you still good to stick around for 
a little bit of shop talk with the, our editor. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Well, um, Stacy, it's been really wonderful to speak with you, and I hope we can stay in touch, and I hope I get to see more of your work, and um, we get to maybe collaborate on something else sometime, because this was really great. Thank you, Miranda. It was a real joy. Again, I'm a, a big fan of the podcast, and it's just been such a joy to talk to you, and thanks so much for it for the conversation yeah well that's our show for this week join me again next week when we close out season three of the hello print friend podcast with a bang and my guest diane victor we'll talk about her life growing up in south africa and being a student artist activist in the years leading up to the legal repeal of apartheid finding ways to get art into non-art spaces the cathartic nature of printmaking, and the healing power of companion animals. This was a wonderful conversation, so believe me when I say you won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.